This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. With mandates facing an uphill battle in Illinois and across the country, some folks are happy to ditch their masks. But for some among us, the threat of COVID is higher than ever. We're talking about the immunocompromised. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Today on the show, we take a look at how the pandemic is affecting the more than 7 million Americans who are immunocompromised, meaning they have weakened immune systems. And for them, the lifting of some COVID restrictions is not welcome news. Joining us now is The Atlantic's Ed Yong. His latest piece is called The Millions of People Who Are Stuck in Pandemic Limbo. Hi, Ed. Hi, thanks for having me. Also with us is Dr. Emily Landon, an infectious disease specialist at the University of Chicago. Dr. Landon, welcome back. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Doctor, we've had you on the program several times during the pandemic to sort of help us make sense of COVID developments as they happen. But I'm wondering if you can start this time by sharing your own story about being immunocompromised. Yeah, I've been pretty open about the fact that I have rheumatoid arthritis and take medicines that help my immune system not to attack my joints, but that also makes it not as good at attacking other infections or at responding to vaccines. That means that I am in the same group that Ed wrote about in his wonderful piece of people that are not sure that they're really as low risk. They're not going to walk away with an omicold like some people did. And that puts us in a really difficult position when these mitigation efforts, especially the large you know, statewide mandates, are repealed. And it's really hard to know as a person like that for, for myself you know, it's it's hard to know whether or not you can trust the grocery store or the library or, you know, the, you know, when you're going into a convenience store to, you know, the Target. And it makes people like me rely more on things like delivery services and avoiding those things, which is fine when you have a lot of privilege and the ability and the money to pay for those kinds of things, but it just doesn't work for everyone. Mm-hmm. And while we don't necessarily need statewide mandates everywhere all the time, we do need to carve out accommodations for people like myself and others and treat them with this sort of special respect that we do for uh, people with other disabilities. So what's it like for you then? Uh, we talk about this difficult situation that folks are in. You're studying infectious diseases and you're also immunocompromised. Yeah. I mean, I take care of patients with infectious diseases. Right. The reality is that because of my unique position, I'm able to understand and have lots of training in how to use appropriate PPE and when is the time when it's important to keep your distance and what situations are going to be more safe and less safe. Not everybody has all of that knowledge. For me, it is. it was especially difficult uh, last summer when the CDC announced that vaccinated people didn't need to wear masks, and it was pretty evident that everyone was going to stop wearing masks. And it was so quick 
that no one had time to think about how they were going to handle people on the margins, individuals who couldn't yet be vaccinated, people who were immunocompromised, older people. And the only way to handle it was just for everybody to stop wearing masks. And it was it was terrifying to me. I stopped going to grocery store. I wore my mask on the walks. I, I felt like I needed to stay inside more. Mm-hmm. And I, I lost a lot of the freedoms that I'd had before that. I mean, and it's, even before the pandemic, doctor, what, what kind of precautions were you taking then? Yeah, when you're immunocompromised, you have to take extra precautions. During flu season, you need to avoid, especially when the case rates are high, you need to avoid going out to parties and to, you know, restaurants and bars. You don't wash your hands a lot. You got to, you know, sometimes you may need to even wear a mask. People, there are a lot of people who are far more immunosuppressed than I am that need to really stay in all winter or kids that may not be able to go to school during the winter. Um, Oftentimes, there are people who would, especially with respect to influenza, would take Tamiflu or other medications routinely all winter long to avoid getting Tamiflu. And I would keep track of my exposures and certainly had many courses of Tamiflu anytime I was exposed to somebody that had influenza in the wintertime. And those are things that most Americans and most people don't have to think about and they don't see it. It's It's not obvious to other people. Not at all. Well, Ed, let's bring you in here. As a reminder to our listeners, just expand on on what the doctor was just talking about, what it means to be immunocompromised, and how much more likely immunocompromised people are to get seriously sick from COVID than the general public. Yeah, um, I think one of the most important things from what Dr. Finder was saying is that there's this common stereotype that immunocompromised people are uh, both rare, are rare or um, very visibly sick or like already secluding themselves in a bubble. None of that is true for the majority of them. And um, firstly, as you've said, there's at least 7 million and that number is likely to be an underestimate. So, you know, think like twice the population of Chicago and more. Um, most of them look healthy and most of them are just in society. Um, they have ways of mitigating their own risk. But, you know, they're around you. Most of us probably have friends and colleagues who are immunocompromised, and we have no idea about it. So, you know, we can dispense with this idea that this is a group that's, like, very easy, easy to seclude. We actually have to make accommodations that make society easier for them to live in, especially now that COVID exists. The new coronavirus heightens the increased risk of infection that immunocompromised people were already having to deal with. Um, Even now, with vaccines in play, many of them aren't making sufficient immune defenses after their shots, um, and they're left in this sort of state of uncertainty. Um, It varies depending on the degree of the immunosuppression. So um, in one study of um, organ transplant recipients at one extreme, they were something like 80, more than 80 times more likely to get a breakthrough infection. Um, and their risk, if they did get an infection of being hospitalized, was about one in two, and their risk of dying was about one in 10. Wow. That's enormous. Um, for a lot of people, the risks are going to be lower, but they're still uncertain. And it's that uncertainty that is trapping a lot of folks in this position in the state of limbo while the rest of the um, country um, rushes headlong towards normal. Dr. Landon and Ed, let's hear from a caller who's been standing by. Here's Laura in Round Lake. Hi, Laura. Welcome to Reset. Hi, Sasha. Thank you for having me on. Sure. Are you immunocompromised? So, yeah. So my situation is that I also have a medical condition. I have multiple sclerosis that 
requires that I take medications that modify my immune system in a way that makes me much more susceptible to illness. And my feeling about this whole pandemic uh, response from the get-go, including vaccinations and certainly masking at this point, is that I'm just done. I'm just done with the world. Um, I, because of my health issues and circumstances surrounding my abilities, mm -hmm. I was largely isolated before the pandemic. And now um, people are so mask-weary. You know, I, I, I'm fully vaccinated. I got COVID after I was fully vaccinated. Um, How I did that go? Anywhere with that. Well, fortunately for me, like I said, I was already vaccinated. So it was not at all pretty. It was about two weeks of pretty much being in bed. And then I had to do some pretty intense rehabilitation after that, which okay. fortunately I was able to access. So I'm doing well at this point. Um, I'm very grateful for that. I feel very fortunate. Um, but I don't go anywhere without double masking or wearing an N95 yeah. mask. All I, all I do is I go like to physical therapy and the grocery store and maybe to like a Home Depot or something. And I can't go anywhere without seeing people improperly wearing their masks. Yeah. Well, Laura, I appreciate you calling in. I'm so sorry to hear that the experience has been like this for you. But Dr. Landon, it sounds very familiar to what you were mentioning before. Laura seems quite discouraged at this point. She says she's done with this pandemic. Tell us, yeah. why is it exactly that, that folks who are immunocompromised, that they don't respond well to the COVID vaccine? And, and talk more about what she was saying, that the psychological effects of this. So anyone who needs to have their immune system modified in order to avoid their immune system harming them in some way, either because it has cancer or because it is attacking a new organ or because it's attack, it's an autoimmune condition like MS or RA, the medicines need to slow your immune system down. And that means you just don't have as much immunity as other people do. And that means that what is a cold for someone else becomes two weeks in bed followed by acute rehab, which I think if most Americans had the experience of COVID where the best case was that they got lots of vaccinations and then they had two weeks in bed and, and an acute rehab stay, that would be, people would be much more keen on wearing their masks. Yeah. And I understand that we can't just have mask mandates all the time, everywhere for every single person. But I also think that businesses, municipalities, organizations need to do more. Grocery stores need to go back to having hours in the morning where elderly or higher risk individuals like immunocompromised people can come in and they're going to enforce a mask mandate. They can have mask free time the rest of the day, but why can't they have a few hours where people can shop that need extra protection? Mm -hmm. Why can't the library have a special checkout line for people that need to wear masks? Why can't pharmacies just keep their mask mandate in place since that's a place where vulnerable people have got to go? And many of the people that are coming into a pharmacy are in some way vulnerable. Yeah. You know, this, these are not for state mandates. This is what we should be doing as a country. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, our country has been woefully inadequate at addressing the needs of people on the margins, whether they're elderly, young children, or immunocompromised. And how has this Omicron surge been different for immunocompromised people? I think one thing that's really changed is that um, a lot of people now feel that they're being increasingly dismissed. And because of this common narrative that Omicron is mild, which is 
just simply not true um, for a lot of immunocompromised folks. A lot of the people I've interviewed have been told by their friends, their families, their colleagues that COVID is over, that they are being um, irrational. And, and I think that really hurts. The risk of infection would already be a lot to bear. But the mockery and disdain from other people who don't face the same high risk is what has made these last few months truly unbearable for mm. a lot of the people I've talked to. It feels like they're being told by the people around them that their lives just don't matter. And some of them have been explicitly told that. In terms of things that we should do, um, Dr. Flanders is completely right. There are structural solutions that need to be put in place. And when I asked immunocompromised people what they want, in terms of things that individual people can do for them, by far the most common answer I heard was just have a heart. For pity's sake, don't denigrate our worth and our choices mm-hmm. to our faces. What kind of societal changes um, do they want to see? I-, I know you wrote about better ventilation standards. Yeah, so better ventilation standards, social support systems like paid sick leave, better access to health care, um, some treatment like um, Evershells and antibody cocktail could make a lot of difference to people in terms of standing in for the antibodies their bodies aren't making themselves, but are inequitably distributed. It's really hard for a lot of immunocompromised people to get their hands on these medicines and few, too few doses exist, which exacerbate the feeling that they've been um, abandoned by their government who could put in the same efforts of distributing these medicines that they put into distributing vaccines. All of these measures, the better testing, better ventilation, equitable access to medicines, these are things that would benefit immunocompetent people too. They're things that are good for all of society. So it's bizarre that we don't put them in. And even if, like, you don't buy the moral argument for doing this to protect the most vulnerable among us, let's just not forget that aging also weakens the immune system. Mm -hmm. So, you know, caring for immunocompromised people isn't about, like, disproportionately accommodating to some other group. It's really about empathizing with your future self and putting in the precaution, the, the system that all of us are going to benefit from as we get older. Let's hear from another caller. Here's Jeff in Lincoln Square. Hey, Jeff, welcome to Reset. Hey, thanks for having me. What are your thoughts? My, my thoughts are really that, you know, and you were the, the speaker was just sort of alluding to this. We need to create this world where we're coexisting with this virus and we're coexisting in a way that immunocompromised people can go about their lives and, and functioning in a normal capacity. So I'm immunocompromised. I'm undergoing treatment for cancer. And the uncertainty is really what, what, what terrifies you the most. I just, we spent two years really trying to be extremely careful. Uh, the entire family ended up getting COVID um, from my daughter who got it from school. So there's an, a huge vector that's, you know, making us nervous. But the reality is, even though I had a mild case of COVID, there's no guarantee that the next case is going to be mild. And there's just this sort of lack of empathy generally around immunocompromised people that are at higher risk and what that means. I had to end a friendship because, you know, I was basically told, like, hey, I'm not responsible for you. You're not responsible for me. So we should just live our lives. And it's like, well, that doesn't really feel like a friendship, right? That doesn't mean you're a terrible person, right? Like, you know, that's your opinion. But, like, if wearing a mask is too um, burdensome for you because you just don't like it, and the, and the cost of that is my potential health or death, 
you know, how are we actually friends? So it's creating all of these sort of rifts and divisions in a way that just isn't, you would think we would come together greater in a pandemic-like situation. Such a valid point, Jeff. Sorry you had to go through that, but thanks for sharing. Appreciate you calling. Dr. Landon, a lot there. I, I want you to weigh in on, on some of the thoughts that we just heard. Um, and, and Ed talked earlier about some of the misconceptions about folks who are immunocompromised. So if you can piggyback on that as well. Yeah, I just, I the last caller was just, it struck a, a real chord with yeah, me. Yeah, that broken this friendship is, this, conversation is, is real. It is, you know, I, I see the mask protest and I understand that people think that they're arguing on behalf of freedom, but I can't, it, it just, I, it can't, it can't meet with me in that way. What I see when I see that is just an, an unbelievable heartlessness. Just this idea that wearing a mask is so much of a burden for you that it is too much. It's, it's more of a burden than my health or my life is, is too much. It's too much for me to, it's been, that's been one of the hardest parts of the pandemic for me. I mean, I have to, I get asked questions about this by the media. I talk about it. I argue about these things. I, you know, I'm I'm in the the public sphere about this and I look completely normal and healthy and I'm a doctor, but I'm not, I, you know, I'm also this person who hears people, you know, tweet me on Twitter or who ask me questions on phone calls. And they're like, why can't we just go back to normal? This is over. You know, you're totally blowing this out of proportion. And I, I think you do not have a heart. Where did we go wrong? Where did we end up in a place where people were so upset about having to wear masks until the rates are actually low enough to to be able to remove them? Yeah. Um, that that's so hard that they they put that before my health and my life. Hmm. And it just feels like a, it feels very personal for me. And I think um, I you know I honestly don't think that a lot of people want other people to die of COVID. I, I, I think those people are few and far between. I think they honestly believe that it's just not that bad. And I think they haven't seen what immunocompromised people have seen, what healthcare providers have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is. They're focused on themselves, yeah, doctor. Sorry. They're focused on themselves in a lot of cases. And, and, I I know that's what it is, but it's more it's more than that, Sasha. It's more than that. They're asking for everybody to be able to stay. They're asking on behalf of everybody that we need to have freedom from these oppressive masks in order to live in a better country. And it's kind of the opposite of what is actually a better place. You know, it is very ableist. It's ex- it's almost eugenics. And I know I know Ed mentioned that in his piece, and and I think that's right. I think there are some people who are are on the edge of that. That it's it's okay if some people get sick and die. We're going to tolerate a certain number, and that's you know, it's probably true. Yeah. Um. But what is that number? And is it really a million Americans? Yeah. Well, you know, Ed, back to your piece and the the folks you talked with, how have they described for you the the return to in-person activities like work and school and and social gatherings how has that yeah. affected the immunocompromised yeah as as dr london said some people are casting this as a return to freedom for them it's a collapse of their freedom um you know these measures that supposedly restore normalcy to everyone is actually stripping it away from a lot of people in this boat because it makes it harder for them to go into the spaces that um dr Landon mentions pharmacies libraries um, grocery stores it closes them out from the world 
And to be very clear, you know, no one I talked to wanted like a permanent lockdown. They want their lives back too. They want to be out in society, but they can't do it if a very dangerous virus is allowed to run amok with no accommodations for them. And that's the thing. That's the thing of it. There's been so much um, like stereotyping and, and, and rhetoric around how immunocompromised people are holding back the rest of society. It's completely the opposite. It's the rest of society dragging immunocompromised people back into a position where they have to reintegrate with no consideration of their risk. Um, so one person, um, Vivian Chung, who's a, a scientist and also is an autoimmune disorder, said this, that it was like um, being unable to swim and being asked to jump into the ocean instead of trying out a pool. One of the difficult things is that for the last two years, a lot of them have enjoyed the fruits of a, a more flexible society, not necessarily a more restrictive one, but a more flexible one with remote options in schooling, in work, um, friends who are willing to like engage virtually with them, and a lot of those options are disappearing. Um, you know, people have talked about feeling lonely because their their friends um, won't zoom with them anymore. People um, talked about feeling really, really scared because their employers are making them go back to work with no thought to their risk, and and that's part of the the problem. It's not that they're asking for the world. It's not it's not that they're asking for the world to be bent. To them, it's that they're asking for the world to accommodate them, to make actually quite small concessions mm -hmm. to their heightened risk of infection. And the idea that those concessions simply aren't even being put on the table, that their, their needs aren't being put on the table at all, um, is adding to that feeling of alienation and, and abandonment. Doctor, we got a question from Arlene who didn't want to go on the air, so I'll just read it. Uh, she says, I've been living in isolation for two years because I can't get vaxxed. I have long-standing hearing problems, and I've heard that the vaccine can make hearing problems worse. What should I do? Well, I think you should get a second opinion, because the, the, there's no evidence, and there have been almost no reports of hearing changes from the vaccine. So I strongly recommend that whoever gave you that advice that you need to talk. I don't know your specific medical problem, Arlene, and so I could be, you know, we, uh, this is a generalized question, and there could be more specifics that, you know, there may be some, some credit to. But I strongly recommend that you get a second opinion about the vaccine, because there are very few people who actually can't get vaccinated. And if you have any medical problems that, are, that put you at higher risk for COVID, but that don't affect your ability to respond to the vaccine, then the vaccine is 100% the way to go because it's really going to protect you. It provides a real nice security thick blanket. And I think for people who are hearing impaired, you know, it really does help to have the masks on. And I, and I think it's hard for individuals who are immunocompromised to begin to accept when things are better either as well, because there's been no real discussion about what's going to be done to accommodate people like us, the, the little things that can be done to help make it safer when we need those things, when yeah. we don't need those things. And that's where we need to start creating a narrative and creating policies and, and having better conversations with people that when the cases are low, it is a lot safer for you. But there are some places where you still need to be careful. And that's a lot for people to begin to understand. Yeah. It's a new whole new world out there. And it we is. have to start addressing it. Let's hear from one final caller. Here's Seth in Crystal Lake. Hey, Seth. Welcome to Reset. Hey, how are you? Thank you very much. So I was recently diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and will be starting a treatment that will deplete some of my immune system. And one of the major concerns that I have is my wife and I also have a, a young child that's going to be starting daycare very soon. Um, 
unfortunately, I'm not able to take care of him at home. But, you know, work happens. And the scary aspect of that is that these daycares are closing down, you know, multiple times a year as they have various COVID outbreaks. And I feel like I don't have much of a choice. He's got to go to daycare. Mm -hmm. But with me being immunocompromised, not only am I concerned that, A, he might contract something, Mm -hmm. but bring it back to me and how I'm going to deal with that. Okay. Let's let's have the doctor weigh in. Quick response, Dr. Landon. Uh, You're between a rock and a hard place. There's not a lot of great answers. We need to do a better job of supporting people like you. You need some sort of in-home. What you really need is a nanny that you can rely on, but that's probably out of reach financially. It is for many people. And, and I think your best bet is to find a daycare that you can work with that has small groups that you can talk to about mask wearing, that you can explain your situation to and where you know that they have great policy, the best policies that they can have for keeping the kids safe, one that has a good track record of not uh, closing very often. That's the best advice I can give you. That's it for today's Reset Podcast. If you want to hear more stories on politics, COVID, culture, and religion, subscribe to this podcast. We'll drop a new episode in your feed every afternoon, Monday through Friday. That's it for today's Reset Podcast. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.